Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest, Joan Schweighart, is a former president of Greg Core Press, ghostwriter and editor, as well as being the author of five novels, the latest of which is The Accidental Art Thief. I interviewed Joan back in 2005 and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with her again. Joan, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. Now, before we begin chatting, um, can I open the show by asking you, please, to just read a little bit from The Accidental Art Thief? Uh, sure. I'm going to read a little bit from one of my favorite characters, and that's Frankie. Frankie is the brother of the protagonist, whose name is Catherine, but she's also known to her family and friends as Zinx. So I'll just read a little bit here. She uh, to set it up. This is actually Chapter 9, and she's been thrown out of her home. And after wandering to a couple of different places and having a couple of different adventures, she winds up um, at her brother's uh, auto mechanic shop. Okay. Um, Frankie was in his squat, trying to find the right wrench in the lowest drawer of his greasy cherry red metal tool case when he heard a high-pitched woman's voice call his name. It sounded like his sister, but if she was the last person he would expect to blast in without warning, he dismissed the notion. He stood up and he bent at the waist because whoever the woman with the little girl voice was, she was standing on the other side of a 93 Jeep Cherokee. Old cards were his specialty that he had up on the center lip and he couldn't see her face. What the hell? My brakes went, Sink said flatly. She was wringing her hands and by the look on her face she'd been crying. I shifted into low and I pumped really hard and they started working again but then they stopped and I had to pump them again. He stared at her a moment, wondering how it was possible for anyone to look that upset because they needed brake work, especially anyone whose brother was an ace mechanic. Then it dawned on him that maybe she had an accident because of the brake failing. And he turned at once and bolted through the open bay door out into the dark sunlight. There was the orange firebird he'd given her, so dirty you couldn't even tell it was orange. But dirty or not, he was glad to see it and glad to see that there didn't seem to be any damage anywhere. The car was a beauty. Once he was able to lift his eyes from the sheer splendor of her sweet hood, he noticed that there were two mutts in the back seat. What the hell? He asked again, Then he took a step forward. Both dogs rushed to the window and clamored for his attention, the big one looking between his fingers while the beagle used his nose to knuckle Frankie's hand up to his head for a pet. Frankie turned to his sister, who had followed him out of the garage. Well, I guess I can't be all that bad, he said cheerfully. Dogs feel like me. Things moved toward him then and though neither of them were prone to demonstrations of affection, he sensed she was looking for a hug, but he couldn't help her out there because he was covered with grief. He took a step back. It's been a while, he said instead, reaching up to scratch his ball. What now, two years since I saved your ass by giving you the most, most precious vehicle that you don't even bother to wash now and then? Um, so that's a to start with her. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, you said that Frankie was one of your favorite characters. Um, he definitely changes and grows through the novel, as does everyone. But what makes him your favorite or one of your favorites? Well, he's a great counterpoint to Zink, who has lived this almost um, Buddhist-like life for 25 years. And um, she's forced to leave her home very suddenly with no notice and go out into the world and um, everybody that she encounters changes her somehow. But he, he's totally the opposite of her. He has some really bad habits. He drinks too much. Um, sometimes he watches porn on DVDs. Um, 
he's just uh, he's been living by himself for a long time. He's 52 years old and he's very set in his ways. So the last thing he wants is um, a, a nearly home, well, a sister who will be homeless if he can't uh, bring himself to open his heart and let her into his home. And it's not only her, it's also her two daughters who he's not really fond of. So um, he was fun. You know, he just, uh, he, he, it was fun to give him dialogue and to have them interacting. And um, it gave me a lot of good ideas um, for things that might happen between them with such different personalities. Yes, and do you think there are some parallels between them too? I mean, outwardly, of course, they couldn't be more different, but do you think that in some ways that there is a kind of, uh, I guess they're both coping with um, their discomfort in, in ways that aren't entirely different? Right, well, they're certainly both coping, and um, he's, he's very lonely, but he doesn't really admit it to himself, and because he's got his bad habits and his life is kind of set and he goes to work every day and, you know, comes home and does the same thing um, every day, he, he doesn't really realize how what bad shape his life is in, I think, until um, they really do start spending a lot of time together. And so... Um, in that way, and she didn't realize her life was in bad shape at all until she was thrown out of her um, idealist setting. So, uh, yeah, in some ways that's true. Yeah, uh, early on in the book, um, when Zink brings her laptop to get it repaired by a computer guy, he says that she's under the radar um, and that Albuquerque attracts that type of person. Um, there are a lot of, <laughs> and Zink and her brother perhaps are both in that category under the radar, but there are other characters in the book that also struggle to fit in. It's almost a, I, I would almost say it's a pretty important theme in the book, Emmeline, Peter, the old man's driver, the old man himself even in a way. Right. Well, we're probably all under the radar to some extent. Um, <laughs> they're all under the radar in different ways. Zink is under the radar because she's extremely shy and she's awkward and she's almost um, agoraphobic. In fact, her brother accuses her of being agoraphobic. And um, she, she's just she's been living this life for 25 years that worked for her. She had um, some terrible things happen to her 25 years ago. Their parents died back to back, and her boyfriend uh, left her, and she wound up quitting school. And then she found this, this great place to live where she could just um, live a solitary life, and uh, she has everything she wants, she thinks. But once she gets out in the world, the real world, she begins to find out that there are a lot of other things that she's been missing in her life. Um, the interesting thing to me is that she really lived in the present. You know, we all try to some extent to live in the present a lot. For 25 years, she basically did live in the present because for her, every day was basically the same, too, and she had all her needs taken care of, and she didn't really have to think about the past anymore, which was painful, or the future, which really didn't exist for her. So um, once she leaves, she's thrown into a situation where the, at least the future um, is very up in the air, and she's got to start giving it a lot of thought very quickly, and that's not... Yes, there's something quite wonderful about her, and, and maybe it is that that sense of um, presence. Maybe it's the fact that she's under the radar. I don't know. I mean, I think um, for me, one of the things I liked so much about the book is it really does open up this notion of what is normative behavior. Um, you know, that that really 
you know, you might say in the beginning, oh, Catherine is normal, normal, and uh, and Zinc isn't. But of course, as as the book goes on, we start to realize that normative is a meaningless term anyway, and that you know everybody's under under and over the radar in their own way. Right. Yeah. Um, basically, all of the characters, as I said, are are under the radar in some way. But um, you know, I think in, in, they're all essentially looking for love and, and looking to be in relationships. And um, there are a lot of different relationships that come and go in the course of the book. And um, uh, people try. It, it, I the characters wind up trying to keep their secrets, and so they're trying to be. To, to let other people know them and still keep their secrets simultaneously. And that causes a lot of problems. So, um, and a lot of humor, I think. Yes, um, I, I read somewhere that uh, the book came about in one of your um, interviews that the book came about through, um, I guess, a similar kind of mistake in emailing um, as happened to Zinc. Um, was that enough? Was that it? You, you, did you start by saying, I'd like to play with this idea? Well, you know, um, so years ago, I sent an email, this was a long time ago, um, back in the days when you had to type out somebody's full email address in the two box. You couldn't just begin to type the first couple letters, and then the name would pop up, and you could just click it. And I sent an email to a friend of mine. She and I were planning to start a literary magazine at that time, and we were going back and forth about what we would include in it. And I didn't, um, I misspelled her, I, I got some of the uh, letters wrong in her email address, which was her name, and then it was like five, six, X, Y, all crazy, and I, I didn't remember it correctly. So it went to a man in New Orleans, and um, he wrote back and he told me that, um, uh, that he had received it uh, erroneously, but also that he was a writer and that he was interested if he could do a literary magazine, maybe he could contribute. And as a consequence of that um, mistake, he and I became good friends during a time when it was, uh, it was during a time that was being charging his life and hard in my life, and we just it made friends. And so um, that was a long time ago, but that was one of those things that I kept in my head, and I thought, gee, this would be an interesting um, centerpiece for a novel. You know, this kind of a mistake could lead to you know, this happening and that happening. So there's nothing, my relationship with him has nothing to do with the relationship that occurs in the book because of the mistake. But I thought it was a great starting point. So I think to find, um, as I get older, when I was a younger writer, a lot, everything, um, everything I wrote about kind of came from things that happened in my own life. And as I get older, I, I find myself picking up little, um, little, little, Details that happen in other people's lives and kind of, you know, or, or happen to me but aren't that important to my life. They, they don't have an effect on me and then building them into something else. So. Yes, the, the magpie school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think a lot of writers do that, though. It's where uh, thieves. So tell me about Albuquerque because I, I found it to be such a beautiful and rich setting for the book. It's, it's very important, almost a character in itself, the mountains, the houses, the, you know, the whole play of the place against the other characters. Well, I live in Albuquerque, so it was, um, and, and I'm new to Albuquerque. Um, let's say I've been here for nine years now, but when I started writing the book, I guess I've been here about six and a half, seven years, um, probably six, six and a half. 
And so um, I'm still having kind of a love affair with the city. And so um, it, it was kind of thrilling for me. Albuquerque gets a lot of bad press. <laughs> so I'm happy that I had an opportunity to say something good about it. Um, it's really beautiful. The mountains are gorgeous. And uh, the desert is beautiful. It's, it's just a really great place to live and a great place to write. And so um, I moved all my characters out of New York where they usually were, <laughs> and now that uh, they're in Albuquerque, and I'm working on something new now that takes place also in Albuquerque. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, it was really nice to be able to read about it um, in, in such depth as well. Um, another thing that I, I noticed through the book are these contrasting themes playing off each other. So, you know, we have kindness, such as the old man, versus meanness, um, Catherine, at least initially, home, home or a notion of home versus homelessness and not having a place, not just homelessness in terms of not having a house to live in, but, you know, not feeling like you fit somewhere. Conventions like conventional medicine um, versus alternatives, playing it safe versus theft and risky behavior. So talk to me about some of those contrasting themes and how they played out for you. Uh, some contrasting themes. Um, let me think. Uh, I didn't catch all of what you were saying, so um, I'm not quite sure uh, what you're thinking of. Let me say... I'll, I'll pick one. Well, so, like, home, home, the sense of being at home versus homelessness. Right. Well, I think that that's something that has always been important to me, and I, I realize, I, I don't plan it, but I realize looking back after various books that I've written that homelessness is something that comes up frequently, and um, it's very much at the center of the, the book that I'm just starting to work on now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that's a place where my heart is, so I wind up writing about it a lot. Um, so there's the homelessness that um, uh, Catherine or Zink is experiencing, which isn't real homelessness because she does wind up spending time with her brother, and there's some other things happen and, and other opportunities open for her because um, she knows people. But then there are some. There is one character in the book who is homeless, and um, homelessness plays how we deal with homelessness and homeless communities plays um, a big part in how the book ends. Um, so. Yes, also the notion of fitting. <laughs> yeah, but also the notion of fitting. I mean, I think there's a, a point, again, fairly early on, where um, Zink says, you know, I, I don't have a play. I don't fit anywhere. There's no place for me in this world. <laughs> right. Well, because she's been living this Zen-like life, um, she, she just doesn't feel like she can. I mean, in the very beginning, when she first finds out that she's going to be homeless for a while, um, she actually thinks about not, not moving, just, you know, getting in bed and waiting until somebody, until somebody does something because she doesn't know how she's going to, um, act. Um, she doesn't know what action she's going to take in order to, um, change her situation. It, mm -hmm. it just seems totally, um, she feels totally helpless. It, it seems like a hopeless situation for her. Yeah. So another theme of the book is, is the idea of secrets, um, not just those we keep from others, although there are plenty of those, um, but those we keep from, from ourselves. So I don't want you to give away any spoilers, but talk to me a little bit about how secrets play out in the book. 
Well, I think it's really interesting. Everybody, you know, that's another thing that wasn't planned, but I realized when, as I was writing the book, and then, of course, by the time I got to the end, that everybody really did have secrets. And Frankie has some very obvious secrets that the reader finds out about right away, and that's his drinking habit and his, um, his occasional watching of porn. I don't want to make him sound like a little pervert, but, he, you know. <laughs> um, so he's got that, and then um, Frankie has, she doesn't really have any secrets per se, but everybody she runs into seems to have secrets. Um, the woman who throws her out, the woman who, who makes her leave this place that she's living for 25 years, has plenty of secrets, and um, her relationship with her father is, uh, is, is one of the things, one of the big secrets in the book, something that she keeps secret for her reasons, and he kept secrets. Uh, kept secrets during his life for his reasons, and all of that kind of comes, everybody's secrets become known um, towards the end of the book from most of the characters. Some of the characters never find out um, the other people's secrets because other characters are making sure they don't. <laughs> so it gets very complicated. Um, in, in one of the written interviews that I did, um, for uh, an online magazine, I, I said that I would never, ever in a million years compare myself to Shakespeare, of course, but um, I, some, I, I can't help but notice that his, uh, some of his comedies, a lot of the characters are uh, keeping secrets or they have mistaken identities, and there's also um, mistaken identity situations going on. Yes, and I suppose that's a, a rich fodder to play with as well. I'm sorry, say that again? It's, it's a rich fodder to play with. Um, I noticed oh, in, yeah. Yeah, in one of your interviews you said that um, you, didn't, you didn't plot this book. <laughs> but I suppose you began with um, a whole bunch of, of tangles. And then I, throughout the course of the book you had to untangle those things. Right, and it was really great fun. Um, all of the books that I've written so far, I've had an outline uh, maybe a loose outline, but I've had some kind of an outline, and I knew where I was going and, and what the center of the book was going to be and how it was going to end. At least the beginning, the middle, the end, and then I would just get from A to B to C, and, and somehow it would all work out. But this book, um, I, I had a different approach, and I kind of just went chapter by chapter. So I, I kept, you know, building the entanglement. Um, as I went, and then at some point it was time to start untangling. <laughs> and um, it, it was really, it, it made it a fun project to work on. Um, it's probably the most fun book I ever wrote. Uh, so it, it makes me very happy to hear that people are liking it. Yes, there's a bit of magic in it too. Um, talk to me about the magic. Well, I, you know, I, I, I love magic. <laughs> You know, I don't really know how to define magic. I mean, things so, um, happen all the time. You know, we thought that, um, you know, we need the speed of light until just recently, and now we don't know the speed of light anymore. Um, it's changed. So, and things are, so things are magic until we can figure them out. And um, there, there, there's not exactly a ghost in the book, but there's a ghostly presence, or some, some of the characters will say that there is a ghost and, and um, the adventures that go on. Um, so it's up to the reader whether, whether or not they want to think that there's a ghost or, that, or the characters are just saying that. But there are a couple of um, quote-unquote supernatural events that go on and that help to drive the plot. And I'm just really interested um, 
in, in magic and uh, not magic, you know, not fantasy. Um, nobody opens the door and, and um, you know, nobody moves through and finds themselves in another world. It's not like that. These are all subtle things that we see every day in real life. Um, the uh, instances of, of potentially magic are things that we see all the time and what they really are just things that we're not so we're not able to explain um, readily. Mm. This is Emmeline um, I found quite intriguing as well as a character in, in terms of magic yeah. as well like she does her own kind of um, I, I guess almost Native American style magic Yeah, it's, it's really fun to write I think this is the first time I've really put magical realism into a book um, so I, I've dealt with magic in, in other books and other ways but this is the first time that I really built it into the actual plot so it was really fun. Yes. So uh, I know that um, you've promoted many, many other books over the years. Um, talk to me a bit about what it's like to promote your own. Do you, do you sort of have to treat yourself as a client? Well, you know, it's really, really hard to do. I'm not good at promoting my own work. Um, when I had my own publishing company, I did all the PR for all of my authors. Um, and um, it, was, it was really fun and very rewarding if somebody said yes I'll, I'll have that person on my tv show or my radio show it was very exciting and i would wind up calling up authors you know in the middle of the night you know forgetting what state they were in and what time it was <laughs> because i would be so excited um it's different when you're doing your own pr so um uh, I don't know. I'm just. I'm not good at that. I. I guess I'm a little bit like thinking that I tend to be a little bit shy, and um, I'm just not uh, good at doing my own PR. But I'm trying. I'm trying very hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing well. There's a lot of um, great stuff going up. You'll have to give us a little. Um, just before we finish off, you'll have to give us a little um, taste of what's out there and where readers can go to find out more about the book and about you. In fact, do that okay, now. Let's do that now. Sorry. Because I'll forget. What's your website? Okay, the website is my name. So it's just Joan Schweikart. And if you can spell Schweikart, you can probably find your way to it.com. Um, and then I have a Facebook site for the book, um, which is called, uh, which is, you know, Facebook, The Accidental Art Beat. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm, anything, any interviews that I'm doing, I'm, I'm uh, posting there. So there's information. The book just came out. Um, I'm happy. To, I think I'm happy to say that it's out of stock on on Amazon, and so it, it has to be pre-ordered now until they get a new shipment in. I don't know, you know how many books the publisher sent to them, but I guess out of stock is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And, uh, yeah, but all, all the information, anything that I do, um, along with uh, the promotion of the book, will be listed on on that site. And then I also have a, a Twitter site, which. Uh, it's just my name. Sounds great. So um, one question I just want to ask about Zinc is, um, what does her nickname mean? I love it, but what where did Zinc come from? I don't mean the character. I just mean oh. the nickname. <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, actually, that's funny. The night that I decided to write the book uh, was my husband's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to a restaurant, Quiet Zinc. And um, I just, you know, I don't know the, the, Sometimes you pick names um, out of a hat, kind of. So I just thought it would be interesting to have a character who, whose nickname was Zink. Her first name, of course, is Catherine, but um, that's where that came from. And I thought, well, this is a good way to remember it when I started the book. So um, 
there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Um, now, I know we don't have much time left, but um, I know that you've been at work on a memoir. Um, what is, what's next? What's, what's in the pipeline? Well, um, I've, I recently finished a book, which doesn't have a home yet, um, but it, it was really a, 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 just a, a wonderful um, adventure to write it. It's, uh, it's called Rubber, and it's about the rubber boom that took place in the early 1900s in South America, and it's about two young guys, um, Irish-American guys from Hoboken, New Jersey, who decide that they can make a fortune in the rubber business, and so they leave home and they go to the jungle. And in conjunction with the writing of that book, um, well, what started it was I spent time in the rainforest in Ecuador, and I, I always loved the jungle, but after visiting and spending time and having all these adventures there, um, I decided that I had to write a book, and then I, I read about rubber boom, and I decided that would be my focus. So I did a ton of research, and I read a lot of books. And then when I finished my first draft as a gift to myself, um, I went back to the jungle, and my husband and I, and also my son and daughter-in-law, we took, uh, we went down the Amazon and the Rio Negro rivers with a guide, and um, to see rubber trees. Mm. And so that was just great. And when the book is published, I'll probably make another trip to the jungle and do another gift to myself. So um, that's just barely finished. Um, probably needs a little speaking here and there. And then I started writing a book about a homeless man. Um, which is actually going to wind up being a love story, just a flat-out love story. Um, uh, so that may be a story to say, but... <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So you've got quite a lot of a lot of things going on at the moment. Yeah. Is it... Um, <laughs> How do you balance this, uh, you know, because you, you have to get out there, don't you, and uh, and sell and, and, and promote the current book, but you've got two in hand. Do you, you try and carve out periods of time um, of quiet to be working on those things? Well, I'm still doing a lot of client work um, at the same time, so it really does keep me busy. Uh, sometimes I'm too busy, sometimes I'm overwhelmed. Um, it depends. You know, client work is, um, is kind of feast or famine. So there are times when I, I don't get to write um, write my own projects for months at a time, but I'm always writing to different clients, So, and which I really don't mind. I like it, and, and it's kind of exciting. And, and when you when you can't get to the thing that, you're, that you want to be working on, um, you know, it kind of makes you really excited when you finally get back to it. And also, I, I keep notes, so as I'm thinking of things, I'll be swimming at the gym, and I'll think of notes for a book that I, I haven't been able to work on in weeks, but, um, you know, I'll get out of the water and get my phone out and start making notes to myself so that um, my, my ideas will wind up on the screen <laughs> eventually before I forget them. So, so wonderful. So, that, fantastic. So, there's, there's a lot happening. Um, so I'll just say again for listeners, if you want to find Joan, probably best thing is to go to her website, and it's just www.joanschweighardt.com. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Okay, fantastic. So that's about all we have time for today. But um, Joan, thanks so much for coming here today or talking with me today. And listeners, don't forget to join us next week when we broadcast live from the Sydney Writers Festival uh, with Ben Oakley. So I'll speak to you then. Bye for now. Thank you so much.